welcome to the Mind Talks podcast. You're with myself, Nathan, and my co-host, Edwin. Our special guest is a world-level triple jumper representing the United States of America. She is a two-time games finalist, narrowly missing out on a medal at the Rio Games. She is the current US triple jumper record holder, setting new records twice. In addition, an eight-time NCAA champion, as well as a six-time US champion. She is the first American since 1974 to win four consecutive US titles. Further accolades include NCAA Woman of the Year and Collegiate Woman of the Decade, all of this at the age of 25 years old. A massive welcome, massive, massive welcome to Miss Kotora Orji. Wow. Um, that is some accolade at the age of 25. So welcome, 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 first and foremost. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Good, 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 good. Um, so we're going to start off as we normally like to start off. Um, so I'm going to take you all the way back. And really what I want to really focus on is your first living memory of a sport either playing or watching um <laughs> i don't know about the first one <laughs> but my go-to will probably be dance um before i started gymnastics i was in a dance class and i've always just enjoyed dancing since i was a kid so um i don't know if people consider dance a sport but that was probably where i started okay and then what, and what sports did you do as a kid? I did gymnastics, volleyball, and track. Okay. And was was there any one that was particularly your favorite at the time? Yeah, volleyball has been and always been my favorite sport. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's interesting. What is it about volleyball? What is it that um, maintains it to be your favorite sport? Um, I think it's just a fun sport. I feel like I don't realize that I'm working out while I'm doing it. Well, track, um, it's very obvious if you're running around a track, it's not really like, oh, I didn't realize I just ran a mile. <laughs> no, you're dying and not really enjoying it. So <laughs> um, volleyball, I feel like I could play that all day and never get tired of it. The combination of the teamwork, the tactics, um, it's just really fun. So I've always enjoyed it. Talk to us about your gymnastics because um, I did a little bit of research uh, about you and you was quite uh, an elite gymnast. So can you just talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I started gymnastics when I was in third grade, I believe. Um, I think it was just because it's something to do with my time, something fun um, to use my energy for. But the coaches noticed my natural talent very quickly. And so I started out just doing classes, tumbling, like most people start gymnastics. But then they wanted me to be a competitive gymnast. And so I went through level four, which is um, a place you can start. But then I skipped through some levels and ended up at level seven within like a short time period because... They noticed just that um, even the stuff I was doing in level four, level five was too easy for me. And so they did like an accelerated program to catch me up pretty much. And then I did that all mm -hmm. the way up until eighth grade. Um, and being a competitive gymnast, I don't know how much everyone knows about it, but it's 20 hours a week of practices. It's trying mm -hmm. to be perfect in your routines on four different yeah. um, in four different events. And it's you're, you're young when you're doing it. So um, mm -hmm. it can be hard to balance school and a social life while also training um, that hard. And there's no off season, you train all year. Hmm. Was, was that the reason why you sw swayed more towards track and field? 
Yeah, I think um, after eighth grade, I just realized my love for it wasn't really there. As I said, there's a lot of time mm. that goes into it and just a lot of demand, and especially for a young person, um, it was just a lot. So I decided to um, stop and try out track and field, and that was in high school. And I did it to be, just be a sprinter. I didn't really know anything about the jumps or throws or any other events. I was just like, I'll see how fast I am. And then my high school coach put me in other events too. And that's when I discovered the long jump and triple jump. And with that, how easy was it to transition from training to be a gymnast to track? Because track, obviously, there's a lot of time you have to spend there as well. <laughs> but going through what you went through <laughs> earlier on with all the time dedicated to gymnastics, how was that for you? Yeah, the transition was extremely easy for me. Um, yeah. Going from four-hour practices to track practices were probably about two hours in high school. Um, it was yeah. a lot better. And then track can also sometimes be more of a team sport. So while I have people to train with in gymnastics, um, you're doing individual um, routines, individual skills, things like that. But in track, we're kind of running as a group. So we can all run a 200 together. We can all run a 400 together. Um, it just seems more group-like and practices were not as long. And you don't have to be perfect in track. You can be the fastest and not execute a perfect race. And so um, that I think that really helped too with mindset because in gymnastics, you can execute a great um, routine and not get a 10.0 so you still feel like you've fallen short and so um, the transition was very smooth for me so I listened to a, another interview of yours and you said that you were naturally f um, faster than most of the boys um, your age so when you moved into track um, how was that transition for you was it when you you know I guess were coming up against people who had similar speed or may have been faster for you. Was it something competitive or did you initially feel, wow, I'm no longer, you know, naturally the fastest person? Um, so when I, um, in the interview that you're talking about, when I mentioned racing the boys, that was elementary school. So yeah. as we know, the younger you are, the closer um, yeah. in athleticism you are with other genders mm -hmm. but then as you grow up that um, there's, there becomes a huge gap and so yeah. um, in high school I definitely wasn't expecting to still be faster than the boys um, and there were a few people on the team a few women on the team that were faster than me but I just saw it as motivation and drive to get better um, and I was a freshman when I started track so it's not like I joined the team expecting to be the fastest person I knew there were people that were older and had been training and doing track for much longer so I just joined it with the hopes of um, just finding a, a new sport to be involved in. And mm. then, um, yeah, anyone that was faster than me or um, was better than me, it just was used as motivation and drive to continue to get better at my craft. So when you decided to focus on track and field, did when it came to discipline in terms of training, was that something that was straightforward to you or was that um, a struggle when you were younger? Um, I think discipline has always been one of my strengths. When I talk to my okay. mom about myself as um, a kid, she always says, like, mm. when it came to, like, just doing schoolwork, I would get my agenda out and write down when things were due. I would do my homework at lunch or on mm. the bus before I even got home because I just wanted to get done and be, have time to play or do whatever else mm. I wanted to do. So my mom said I've always been pretty organized and structured and tried to get things done early. But I think gymnastics really instilled that in me, just having to go from a whole school day then go to practice at 5 p.m., finish class, finish practice at 9 p.m., go home, eat dinner, and try to do schoolwork. Just staying on that consistent schedule really um, taught me time management and um, prioritizing getting things done when you had the time because I didn't always have the time to do um, everything I needed to do for school. 
What was the thought process when there were days where you didn't necessarily need, want to go training um, for whatever reason? And how did you overcome that? What were you telling yourself to ensure that you persevered? And not only you, that you attended training, but you, you tried um, to, you know, maximum level. Yeah, I think my mindset going into training is always um, there's people out there that are better than you and you need to put in work today to get to that same level as them. Um, so a lot of people, they always go off of motivation, like, oh, I don't feel motivated today or I need motivation. Um, but discipline really comes from just showing up every day and no matter how you feel, getting the work done and giving your all. And so that's just what I expect, my, what I expect myself from every day, especially during the pandemic when um, the Olympics had been canceled, there were no... Um, track meets on the schedule. I feel like during that time, I really did not have any motivation at all. But that's where your discipline comes in, where it's like, okay, you have nothing to train for, but you know, you just can't get out of shape. So just go to, it wasn't even a track because tracks were closed, but like go outside, go move around a little bit. Um, just yeah. go put in some work that day and get in what you can. And um, that really, it's always rooted in trying to be the best athlete I can be. Was there ever times in that period um, when you were training for the Olympics? And with what's going on in the world that you kind of lost motivation or was the was the tunnel vision always there for the next olympic games no i definitely lost motivation um yeah, yeah as i was saying before like that's where the discipline came in where it's like yeah. i don't feel like going to practice today and there's really yeah. no competition coming up anytime soon for me to feel like i need to go to practice but i know that i need to stay in shape and so um, yeah, just doing what you have to do even when you don't want to do it is a big part of being a professional athlete. Okay. Um, so did you find Triple Jump or did Triple Jump find you? Triple Jump found me. <laughs> okay, um, talk, talk to us about that. <laughs> yeah, so as I mentioned, I joined track to be a sprinter. Um, just wanted to run fast, be the next Allison Felix. Um, my coach threw me into the long jump and um, I was pretty good at it. That was my freshman year. And then I kept asking her to try triple jump, but she was like, you already have enough events on your plate because I was doing like relays, the sprints, high jump. She had put me in so many events, so I was already doing a lot. <laughs> and so um, by my sophomore year, she finally agreed. She's like, okay, you can try the triple jump. And I had broken our high school school record the first time I had jumped, triple jumped. So that's when it really discovered wow. me. And from there, I progressed. <laughs> How important was your coach to you earlier on in your career? early on in your career uh, coach i feel like coaches are one of the most important parts um especially mm -hmm. if there's an extremely talented athlete or even an average athlete um if a coach can develop that average athlete into a great athlete that shows how great of a coach they are but then not even just as a coach but also as a friend as a mentor just someone that you enjoy spending time with um, that they can teach you um life skills um that they can believe in you and invest in you i feel like those are all important things and so my coach and i still have a great relationship um and i really appreciate everything they've done for me what's the biggest lesson you have learned from one of your coaches <laughs> um that's hard any particular ones that stand out I'm sure there's yeah i'm sure there's more than one um <laughs> And any uh, maybe scenarios or circumstances that really stand out? Um, I, I don't really know if there's one that stands out to me, but I just know, especially with my high school coaches, I felt like they always accept, accepted me for who I was and really um, focused on my strengths when developing me. And yes. so um, for any coach that may be listening to this, if um, 
if you have an athlete that's really great or maybe not not really great, it doesn't really matter, but just accepting them for who they are and seeing where their strengths are and then finding events that um, fit them, I think that's really important. And I think that's what my coaches do with me and what ended up working. We've had some athletes in the past when their support network when they were young wasn't so great, but as they made it professionally, it kind of grew. How was it like for you growing up um, when it came to the support you were provided? Yeah, I think my parents have always been a strong support system. I uh, grew up with okay. both my parents in the home, and then I also have three siblings um, that I'm really close with. And so I feel like when it comes to family, you can't really – I probably maxed out on support system. Um, I think yeah. what was mo most important about my family, which um, you mentioned it being in my bio, the hashtag more than my sport, uh, my parents and my siblings have never valued me, valued me for my uh, um, athletic achievements. I know that they will always love me and support me no matter what I do on the track or don't do on the track. And I feel like that helps me to be successful in everything that I do. Um, and especially having an African parent, my dad is Nigerian. Um, sports don't really matter to him. Um, school and <laughs> academic is most, academics is most important. And so growing up, when I first started track, he didn't care about track. He's like, what are your grades doing? How are you doing in school? And so um, I think to really have that always being replayed in your mind, it shows you that like, it showed me that no matter how I perform on this track, it doesn't matter, especially to my dad, it doesn't matter. Like I need to make sure I have everything else straight. And so I think going in to competitions and uh, just going into life, knowing like I'm not just a track and field athlete. If I do do really bad at this competition, it ultimately doesn't matter because that's not where my value comes from. That's not who I am. I'm much more than that. I'm really interested in your opinion on loyalty in sports. So um, in the last few weeks, I've been listening to kind of different analysts via YouTube on, you know, loyalty versus sport versus loyalty, you know, outside of sport. And um, it's really regarding, for me, the area that I've been watching it is in and around boxing. So it's about boxers um, changing their trainers. And there's been a lot of talk about, you know, recent boxer and how maybe potentially should change his trainer, etc. cetera. Um, but one of the things that really stands out is just loyalty. And we know that, you know, just in, in general life, loyalty is a big thing, you know, friends, family, etc. But one thing that, something that stood out for me was when an analyst said, actually, athletes, they have a very short time span um, in their career. So there isn't really time for loyalty. If they need to change, they need to make those changes now. So where do you stand on that? How, how can you, where is balance? Um, where can you balance loyalty in sport? If there, if you can balance um, that loyalty? Yeah, I, I feel like loyalty can be um, established even if you decide to leave a coach. So I am on the side of if, if it's not working out, leave. There's no reason to stay there. Um, but that doesn't mean you have to cut off the coach and not talk to them. Y'all are yeah. enemies now. Like, I think people make yeah. it seem like it's a big deal if you leave a coach. To yeah. me, a yeah. coach that sees that things aren't working out would actually encourage you, like, hey, I know what we've done together has been great. I'm really proud of what we've been able to accomplish, but it seems like it's not been working out. So I would agree with your decision to leave me and you guys yeah. can stay friends or do whatever it is you need to do outside of being coached by that person. But I yeah. feel like loyalty can exist even when you leave a person. Um, 
it's not like you have to shun them and never talk to mm. them again because they're not your coach anymore. Um, I definitely think every coach should still get an opportunity though. So like you shouldn't join a new coach and then things go bad and you leave. Like you haven't really given that coach an opportunity to develop you. So um, I definitely think you should show, show some loyalty at the beginning, but then if over time things aren't working out, you should move forward and there shouldn't be hard feelings there. And I feel like the coach should definitely support you if things are not going well. Oh, hundred percent. We've we've interviewed quite a few people, and um, they've we've had some where the coaches have supported them on their on their next journey, and you do get some where the, the coaches are a bit bitter. So yeah. it's kind of knowing your coach and how how to break the news down to them, I guess. Um, because the thing is, with coaches, they someone someone will have their strength. One strength is not someone else's strength. So depending on where you are in your career, you might need something else. That's that's how it works, mm -hmm. really. Yeah. Yeah, so my next question is kind of linked to adapting to climate. So when you go to different countries. So how how easy was it for you once you started traveling internationally and competing? Was it straightforward or did it take time to adapt to, to different climates? Um, it definitely takes time to adapt to. Um, I think the time change is the hardest thing. Um, mm. When you're traveling internationally, you... Usually, if it's like a Diamond League meet, you would go about two days before, um, do a shakeout the next day, compete the next day, and then leave the next day. And so, um, depending on where you're coming from in the United States, it's a pretty drastic time change. And I feel like that was hard for me at first, but I, I kind of just focused on um, you can get, get your sleep when you need to. I've heard an athlete say that before, so it's like... You may think like, oh, I have to sleep from 10 p.m. to 8 a.m., but it really doesn't matter if the competition's at 7 p.m. You can sleep from midnight to 10 a.m. if you wanted to and start your day later. Um, so that was one thing that I had to adjust to, just not trying, not trying to stay focused on my sleep schedule that I had in the United States, but just when I need to, when I feel like I need to sleep, just sleep then and uh, make sure I'm awake for the competition because that's what's important. <laughs> um, so that was definitely hard adjusting. Sometimes the food is hard to adjust to. Obviously, different areas you're in, people eat different things. And so you may be used to eating two eggs and bacon and sausage for breakfast. But in other places, they may have baked beans and vegetables for breakfast. And, uh, <laughs> that's, just, that's just part of adjusting. So it took time. It took some time. But um, if you try to block, if you can block out all of that and just know that it's time to perform when it's time to perform, I think that helps you to be successful. Don't let don't let all that um, affect your mindset. Do you do you bring with you any comfort items when you're traveling? No, I don't. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't I mean, I've brought snacks before. If you're saying snacks, like I'll bring like crackers and like basic yeah. snacks in case the food's mm. really bad and I need something to eat. But um, I'm yeah, I don't. I travel light. <laughs> okay. So we sp we've spoken a little bit about family and supporting family, but when it comes to friends and balancing like your personal life. Do all your friends understand this, um, the, what you have to do, the sacrifices you have to do, or do some of them not get it? Um, the funny thing is I was mm. I was thinking about all my friends, and I've met all my friends through track. So, oh. <laughs> so what's great about that is they all have been in the exact same situation as me and understand what it is to be an athlete and to be dedicated to sport um, and things like that. So <laughs> it's yeah, it, it's been pretty easy for me because of that. Um, 
Yeah, and uh, all my friends that are not track related, they are somehow incorporated into the sport and have been, it's been very easy with that. And my husband also did track too. So it's been a very smooth sailing uh, mm. friendship <laughs> and uh, spouse route for me. <laughs> um, you went to the University of Georgia. Um, can you tell us what were some of your other options and what was it about Georgia that made you decide, yeah, um, it's for you? Yeah, so I the five schools that I visited were the University of Florida, Clemson, Kansas, Mizzou, and University of Georgia. Okay. Um, I ended up choosing Georgia because, number one, the coach seemed very dedicated to uh, my goals, my personal goals, and everything that I was um, committed to achieving. And he seemed like he had um, the experience and the knowledge to help me get to where I wanted to get. And then what really sold me was on my visit when I met the team, I just bonded with them um, really quickly. Um, I'm pretty, I feel like I'm not like many other people. And so to find other people that I can connect with so easily um, was really, really a gem. And so I, yeah, I really enjoyed, I loved the campus, loved the team, loved the coach, and that really sold me on everything. When it comes to your mindset, what do you think you could add that you don't already have? That's a hard question. <laughs> okay, I, I think I could add, um, I'm not sure if confidence is the right word or maybe optimism is a better word, mm. but I'm a very realistic person. And so like when I go into competitions, it's kind of like, okay, I'm ranked this, so I'm probably going to get around this place. Like I've always gone through sport that way. Or um, I haven't been jumping, I haven't been jumping five feet all season so i probably won't jump five feet at this meet so like i'm very very realistic or some people would say pessimistic while like the people around me have always been like oh you could do this like when i got fourth at the olympics did not expect myself to get fourth at the olympics when i broke the american record did not expect myself to break the american record when i went into the delays i never expected i'm just like i'm gonna work hard and just see what happens so i feel like i could, if i could unlock like like I've seen some people at competitions where they're just so cocky. They have nothing to back it up, but they're just so cocky. And I'm like, <laughs> how, how did you get like this? And I'm like, if I had your confidence, I probably could do so much better. <laughs> and yeah. so, um, yeah, I think if I could maybe just believe in myself more, or just be more positive or optimistic about really how, how much I can achieve and how, how far I can jump, I think that would help me in a lot of areas. Okay. I'm going to talk a little bit about the road to Rio. Um, how was it for you? Can you remember the, the feeling um, at the US trials? And um, talk about, I guess, the process for you in preparing, but equally, can you talk a little bit about the impacts that your, your coach had on you before um, your successful jumps? Yeah, so I, I would actually say the road to Tokyo was much more difficult than the road to Rio, but <laughs> we'll start at Rio. <laughs> yeah. um, so I was a sophomore in college um, in 2016, and I remember I jumped, I had jumped Olympic standard my freshman year, my last meet my freshman year. And so my coach told me to take off the seas the summer before um, the Olympics because he just wanted me to make sure like I was well rested going into 20, 2016 season. And, um, I remember being pretty confident cause I had the Olympic standard already. And I don't think there were any other Americans with the standard, which means 
if no one else jumps it and I do really bad at the trials, I still go to the Olympics. Um, so I felt very comforted going into it. And then mm. on top of that, to build my confidence, I ended up breaking the American record at NCAAs that year, right before mm. Olympic trials. So um, going into the trials, yeah, I, I felt very confident. I was really excited. I didn't really have goals for the Olympics because I didn't care. I just wanted to make the Olympic team. Like I wasn't like, oh, I want to get this place. It's like, no, I'm 20 years old. I just want to go. <laughs> and so um, at the trials, yeah, I there was not much pressure again because I think maybe only two people had the standard going in. And so, again, if I had a bad day, I would still make the team. Um, so not much pressure, felt really comfortable going in and um, ended up winning the trials, making the team. I remember at, at the Olympics, I was so nervous going into the qualification round <laughs> because yeah. all the people there were people I'd been watching on TV. So, again, I was 20. I was very young. So mm. a lot of people that I've been watching on TV are still competing. And so I remember seeing and I was like, oh, my gosh, is this person, is this person? I start questioning whether I belong there. Um, just some doubt, things like that. And so I was the last person to qualify in the qualification round for the final. So then I remember I reset my mindset for the final. And I was like, I need to be confident. I need to not worry about anyone else here. I'm just as capable as anyone else here. Um, and I just need to execute and I need to do it early because in the qualification round, I was like kind of slow getting into things. But I was like, yeah. I need to... I need to execute on the first few jumps so that I can get more jumps. And so, um, yeah, my, I broke the American record again on my first jump at the Olympics. And that's what ended up giving me fourth, um, the fourth place finish that I got. So that was road to Rio and at Rio. What, what was the difference from that to what you just meant, Tokyo? <laughs> yeah, so Tokyo. <laughs> so <laughs> I had a coaching change. I changed my coach in the middle of 2020. But I didn't start working with him till full time till 2021. And so the coaching chain change, I think, definitely messed with my mind, just knowing like, will his system work? Is this a good fit? Like just a lot of questions. There's not evidence already with in 2016. I already had evidence that everything was working out for good. So I, there's nothing to worry about. But um, yeah, just a lot of nerves around changing coaches and it being an Olympic year. Then on top of that, I started out. 2020, well, 2021, it was Tokyo 2021 Olympics. I started out in 2021 um, breaking the American record. So I started on a high. And then from there, I just felt like I was just falling slowly, like a slow decline. Mm -hmm. My jumps were not as good. They were not as consistent. Um, my confidence was, was non-existent. Like I started meeting with a sports psychologist to help with my confidence. Yeah. Um, just a lot was not going well. And I, I kept trying to have faith. But as I, as I told you guys, I'm realistic. So I'm like, if things are not going well, why should I believe that things will start to go well all of a sudden? And so um, I never had the fear of not making the team because, again, um, not many Americans had the standard. And I was still jumping well enough to make the team. But just mm. more of I had this expectation to I could win a medal this time because of what I had yeah. jumped early in the season. And um, I just had more. Yeah, I had more expectations for myself and a combination of a lot of pressure with things not going as I planned my mind was just not going not not good going into tokyo and the sports psych really helped with that um just helped me to increase my confidence and not base my confidence off of performance which is what i've always done i've always been like okay i've jumped this which means i'm good so i'll be good for the competition yeah. but she was like you can still jump this even if you haven't done it in the past few weeks so um just trying to keep that confidence going and she really helped with that and so i ended up getting seventh at tokyo um not as good as i wanted to but i feel like if I had to start a meeting with the sports psych, I probably would have done way worse at, in, in Tokyo. So it was really helpful overall and a, a good learning experience for me. 
It's interesting because you're still 25 years old. You finished fourth in 2016, 2021, you finished seventh and you've still got time. You still realistically still got another, at least minimum two um, more Olympics. So it, it, you're really in good hands. So yeah, um, I guess I want to go back to 2016 a little bit. So finishing fourth. So when I was younger, I remember thinking to myself that fourth is the worst place to finish because you're just you you're just outside the medals but then as i've got older i actually think to myself actually there's positives from that because it shows that you're capable of getting the medal and actually it spurs you on to the to the next um olympics so where do you stand on that how, how was that feeling of finishing fourth was it was it beyond your expectations because obviously you didn't have any expectations or was it Oh snap! I finished fourth. I literally finished fourth. I could have just if I just jumped a little, uh, just jumped a little further, I could have got a medal. So like, where do you stand? Yeah, where did my you stand? stance was definitely I did not care. I was so happy, um, which is funny because when most people pose the question, they're always like. Oh, I'm so sorry. You got fourth place. And I'm like, what you don't know is that I was so excited about that fourth place. Um, I had written myself a letter yeah. before the Olympics. And, well, they had us do this at Team USA camp where you just write yourself a letter and they give it, they mail it to you and you read it after. And I completely forgot about the letter. But in it, I wrote, um, my goal is to come top eight. But if I come top five, I'll be really happy. <laughs> and so I remember after reading it and I was like, go. wow, I did not expect myself to do this at all. And that's why yeah, I was really happy with the fourth place. I know that it was only three centimeters from a medal. And now looking back, wow. I'm like, I really took that for granted. Wow. Like I, wow. I really, <laughs> really did a lot better. But I was definitely so content in the moment. And like, I exceeded my expectations. I, yeah. So I know people will see it as like, oh, you were so close, but I see it as like, I did way more than I thought I could do. And um, yeah, and some people can't say mm. they've gotten fourth. So it's, it's, an, uh, it's an accomplishment. <laughs> no, 100%. What, what would you say is, was the toughest moment in your career so far? Um, I would say there's two things I'm thinking of, but I'll, I'll go with first in 2017. Um, I had gotten injured. I had never been injured before. I did gymnastics and never been injured before watched all my teammates get injured in gymnastics, but never experienced it myself. So I struggled with that because I'm used, I'm a workhorse person. Like I come to practice and I will work hard, harder than everyone else. And that's how I achieve my goals. And when you're injured, it wasn't like a full injury where like I was sitting out. It was just like consistent pain. And so when I was injured, my coach sometimes was like, let's do less reps today or let's just sit out today. And I'm like, no, like I'm not going to be good if I'm sitting out, I'm doing less reps. I need to do either the same reps as everyone else or more than everyone else. And so I really struggled with trying to balance like, okay, you want to be healthy, do less. And also like you want to work hard, do more. And that year really taught me that working harder isn't always working smarter. So sometimes you can be just as efficient or more efficient and more effective than someone else, but do less work than them. Um, and that was hard for me in the moment. It was hard for me to learn, but now that I've grasped that lesson. Um, and I know that if I miss one day of practice, it doesn't mean that I can't accomplish my goals. It just means you need to rest that day. Your body's going to recover and you'll feel better and be able to perform better the next day rather than destroy my body down by continuing to overwork it. Um, so that was a really hard moment for me just cause I couldn't, I couldn't do what I wanted to do. Um, another hard moment was my freshman year of college. I was at a qualification meet for NCAAs. And at the time I was ranked first in triple jump and like top 10 in the long jump. 
And in both events, I almost did not qualify for nationals. I had a really bad day. And my mind was all over the place. Again, I was a freshman in college, so, you know, like, young, don't really know what I'm doing. Um, and so I remember calling my mom crying after, and I was like, I don't know what's wrong. Like, I know that, that I'm capable of this, but I wasn't able to execute it. Execute it, and now I'm freaking out, because what if I don't do well at NCAAs? And just all this, all these doubts in my head. And so my mom was like, well, you're going to start calling me every day. We're going to read um, we're going to read a portion of the Bible and we're going to pray together. And so ever since I started doing that with my mom, it wasn't until this year for Tokyo that I really struggled with confidence again, but pretty much from 2015 to 2021, I haven't had any issues with confidence. And that was because of that foundation. My mom really built of like track and field is not life. It, it's not a life in that situation. You don't need to freak out about it and you are capable um yeah so, so uh, there's so many things to say because you you've mentioned confidence a few times so um the routine with your mum was one and you talk you spoke about um a sports psychologist as well what were some of the can you uh, briefly mention one mental hack that a spice psychologist helped you with in maintaining the confidence yes, there is one that she gave me that's called learn burn return and it's a process of like after you, so especially with jumping, we always used it because that's I'm a jumper. So we always used it with my jumping. But like yeah, after yeah. one jump, say it goes completely bad, I would tell her how just even if it was my first jump and I have five more jumps, I feel like that jump would set the tone and I would be like in a negative headspace if the first jump went bad because now I'm like, oh my gosh, things are not going well. What am I going to do? So the um, learn, burn, return technique is to learn from whatever it is that you did. So like, let's say I ran too slow on the first attempt or something like, okay, that on that attempt, I ran way too slow on the next time I need to run faster, burn it. So like completely forget that yes. it exists, that it ever happened and then return back to a confident state. And so the hardest thing for me was returning back to the confident state. Like I could take what I learned and I could like forget about it, but then returning back to the same confidence is really one of the hardest things. And, um, she said that you can like use a word if you want, like you can say something verbally to go through the process, or you can even like do something physical. So like when I would wear my ring, when I'm competing, I would turn it um, inside out to rubber ring. So I turn it like inside out, that's when I'm burning and then turn it back to the same state to return back to a confident state. So there's like actual okay. things you can do okay. to go through the process rather than just doing it mentally. Do you wish you had someone like this, um, like earlier on in your career? Um, yeah, I think so. I think even if I never struggled with anything, there's still so many techniques that she's taught me that would be useful for anyone, even someone that's very confident or someone that, yeah. um, yeah, I think there's just so many tools that she has to offer that can be used for any person in any scenario. On a side note, so you've mentioned it a couple of times and when we was doing our research, we also know that you participate in long jump. So where does long jump fit in, in your future? Where, where does it fit in? Or are you just strictly triple jumper no i still long jump it's just not as often yeah. um in college i was doing long jump triple jump all yeah. the time but um now i still long jump i long jump at the trials actually i think i got eighth or so i can't remember but i still long jump um it's it's a good balance and it helps me with triple jump too so it's fun to sometimes not do the same thing when it comes to other athletes that you admire what are some of the key characteristics that you admire about them when it comes to their mindset? When it comes to their mindset. 
that's hard because I don't really know the mindset of other athletes. Um, but one of my favorite athletes is Serena Williams. And I think it comes from just seeing her demand for excellence for herself at all times. Um, you can see on the court that she expects herself to be the best. And she expects herself to get every point. And if she doesn't, she's upset with herself. It's not just like a, oh, okay, next time. It's like, no, that was not okay. We're going to do better. And so I've always loved her passion for the sport, um, her dedication, her... I've also loved how she received so much backlash and hasn't ever changed who she is. Um, she really won't let media change her, refs change her, whatever mm -hmm. it is. She, she doesn't let that affect her. She's going to continue to be herself. And I've always loved that about her. Um, but yeah, I, as far as mindset, I feel like I don't really know the mindset of other athletes. So it's hard to answer that question. One of the things that we all love in sport are rivalries. So if you look at all sports, whether it's domestically or internationally, we all love a rivalry. And you have your own with um, Tory Franklin. What's it like being part of a, a strong domestic rivalry? Yeah, I think it's been great for our event. Um, historically, women's triple jump has been extremely weak in America. We have, I don't think we have any Olympic medals and we may have a few world medals, but compared to men's triple jump where we get gold and silver every, every uh, year, um, it's definitely weaker. And so having um, just an audience come to watch us is a big deal. There have been times where I've been competing and just people don't even show up to watch us, watch the triple, the women's triple jump because they know like, oh, it's, there's never anyone good there. There's not anyone that we know of. Um, and so Tori and I together have just drawn so much attention, breaking the American record back and forth really, uh, draws again, attention. Um, and it just shows even other countries that America is, um, a great triple jump, a great female triple jumping country and can contend for medals also, which is really important for us. This is, um, my last question to you in terms of going forward in your career, what are some of the things that you're still looking to achieve? Yes, I'm still looking to become the first American woman to win an Olympic medal. Um, that, that would really be great. Um, I also want to become the first American woman to jump 15 meters. Um, those are two just major barriers that have been done by other athletes and by other countries, but haven't, hasn't been done by the United States. So it would be a big deal. And I know that it would be great for just young girls who are looking to get into the same um, same event, but may not see anyone to look up to, but no, with, if we have someone, they know that they can also do it. And so I think that's really important to me. I've got a couple more questions. So first one is about married life. So congratulations. Um, I think that's really interesting. It's the reason why I brought it up because I think for young and upcoming athletes, it's really important that they get to hear those who are in relationships and committed relationships and really just get to hear from, I guess, people's firsthand experience. So how do you balance married life with um, competition and training? And what, what advice would you give um, to a young up and coming athlete? Yeah, so something uh, funny that I don't like that people say is, Oh, I'm not dating right now because I'm working on myself or I'm not dating right now because I just have so much going on or I have goals. And I'm like, so because I'm married, I don't have goals or I'm not working on myself. So the way I see it is uh, the person that you choose to commit to should help you 
either work on yourself or support you in your goals and values and push you to be better in all of those things. And so I don't see that as a good reason to not be dating because I'm like, the right person can help you do those things too. And I believe that you make time for what's important to you. So if it's important to me, if my marriage is important to me, I'm going to make time for it. If this person is important to me, I'm going to make time for them. Um, and so those are just two big value points that I keep in my life. Um, and married life has been great. He, as I told you, he was an athlete yeah. also. So he understands going to practice, disappearing, not texting for five hours, then coming yeah. back. Um, and, um, he also supports my dreams to be the first American woman's medal and to jump 15 meters. So even though we live in Atlanta together, um, my coach is in California. And so for a bulk of the year, we're doing the distance. Wow. We're a married wow. distance yeah. couple, um, which a lot of people, it's hard. Like, I'm not going to say, Oh, it's a breeze, but it's like when you guys are committed to each other, you trust mm. each other and you know, both of you have your own goals. Then I'm not going to make him uproot himself from Atlanta to come with me when he has things he's trying to do here. And I'm not going to make, he's not going to make me not go to California to work with a really good coach because he wants me to be in Atlanta. And so both of us respect each other's, uh, goals and values and we know that we can be successful even if we're not together it's not like we have to be in the same location to have a successful marriage and we love each other and want to stay together so um yeah it's been great um advice i would say is just to communicate a lot which is the I mean, everyone always says that but most people don't actually communicate so like don't ever assume like oh he knows or he's okay with this or he's not bothered bothered by this like you should always just over communicate like Hey, is it okay if I do this? Hey, have you been feeling good about this? Do you want to come visit this week since we haven't seen each other in a while? Like, it, just making sure that you're telling each other how you feel in the moment and adjusting things to go with it, which you're going to need to adjust whenever we make rigid structures or plans. You can't predict the future. Things are going to have to change. So just always being ready to adjust and adapt to whatever may come. And... Um, and yeah, just riding the highs and the lows, like sometimes bad things happen and then people, they just want to bail, but it's like in friendships too, like there's going to be highs and lows and just, um, try to stay consistent and, um, try to remember all the good times because it's not always worth giving up just because you have one bad time. So my concluding question is around your YouTube page. So, um, I really liked your introductory video about yourself because you started off with affirming who you are. And I want to reference the last two statements. You said, I am more than my sport. I am KO. Um, are, were there times where you may have defined yourself by your sport? And if so, um, when were those periods? Um, if I had to choose a time, I would say it was probably high school. But I don't think I ever really have. And that, again, as I mentioned before, my family and especially my parents have never valued sport enough to label me so some people their parents family and friends will identify them as an athlete as a as a jumper but like i was never i never had just that label i was always katora with personality traits and other interests and um yeah different there were always different parts of me and so i think because my parents emphasized that i never really found my value solely in sport and it really i really learned that in college too when i joined um a group called team united and it's like a christian group it's combining like athletes in action and um fca fellowship christian of athletes and they just go on to talk about how like your value is found in god and not in your accomplishments or in your sport or whatever that is and no matter what you do there you can never really um find fulfillment in that like we can search for it but 
you will always want more. Like I, I can get fourth at the Olympics, then I want third. I can get third at the Olympics, then I want second. You're always really just searching for more. And so I think my foundation or like my, I really established that like belief of like, I'm more than my sport in college with that group that I was in. And then really since then, I've just been reaffirming it. Um, I just started a business where I'm doing my own financial coaching because I have a degree in financial planning and just been, been helping people for free for so long. But I was like, why don't I just start a business and um, yeah, make money from it rather than just doing it for free. Um, and then I also have a book club. I love reading. So I've, I've uh, been in a book club. Um, I'm trying to think. I started a mentoring program for young girls when I was in college. Just always doing a lot of different things because I have many interests. Track and field is not the end of yeah. who I am. And when I'm done with track, I'll still be Katora Orgy. Some people will just label me as that Olympic triple jumper. But it's like when I stop doing triple jump and I stop going to Olympics, I'll still be me. Um, and I think that's really important for any athlete to understand and know because at one point sport does end. Um, you can keep working out, but at one point you won't be labeled as that anymore. Um, and then going into IMKO, those are my initials, Katora Orgy. And uh, some of my friends started calling me that early on. And then one of my friends made up KO the comp, knock out the competition. <laughs> okay, like and so that. it's just great that my initials go with um the initials knockout and uh it's always fit me with my personality too so okay Kotora, um how can people get in contact with you um there are multiple ways so i have a website which is my first and last name www.katoraorgi.com and i have instagram at k-t-o-r-r-1 and twitter at K-E-T-U-R-A-H-O-R-J-I, my name again. Um, so all of those places, I respond to DMs. Um, I respond to emails. I respond to anyone that fills out stuff on my website. Um, yeah, I'm very responsive to anyone that needs help or is interested in talking to me. And I love helping other people. So whatever it is you may want advice on, I for sure, um, if you reach out to me, I'll make sure to get back to you. Yes. Um, Katora, thank you so much. Um, this was an action-packed interview. Um, we're actually really, really thankful for you coming on. And hopefully we see you at an event in the UK sometime. <laughs> hopefully, you know, um, it'll be good. It'll be good to see you actually in action um yeah really 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 thankful guys if you are a regular listener thank you and continue to share um if you are a new listener welcome aboard until next time guys stay healthy stay blessed